Houston Dynamo, Portland Timbers, Sporting Kansas, Los Angeles Galaxy, Beach Pass, Toronto FC, Salt Lake, Chicago Fire, Columbus Crew, FC Dallas, York Red Bulls, Pitch Pass, your all-access credential to the people that matter in MLS. Here's your host, Greg Roach. Welcome to Pitch Pass. And yes, it's been a while since we've actually just talked about the league. And while it's good to have players on, getting to know them a little bit better, I do like to get a little little vibe, uh, the pulse of what's going on as we head into the playoff season in MLS. And to do that, we bring in the man from NBC Sports. He covers MLS as well as everything else soccer-related. He's Steve Davis, and he joins us now. Steve, welcome to the program, my friend. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. My favorite time of year. Gotten finally. Got, you know, I live in Dallas. It's finally gotten cool here, and... All kinds of good sports going on. MLS playoffs coming. I love this time of year. It's a perfect time of year, and if you are an MLS fan like uh, like we are, then it, like it doesn't really get much better than this. And you know, I think the one knock that that people who want to hate on MLS uh, always throw out is that the, the matches, especially early in midseason, don't really matter uh, in relation to the the frenetic pace of maybe the the Premier League. But we're in the time of year now, and as evidenced by the match on Saturday, uh, Seattle and Los Angeles, where now these regular season matches do take on that little playoff or or frenetic Premier League type pace. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, what you're talking about here it, it was probably more true, I think, in, in, in past years where I, I think now more teams understand that these matches in May and June, you know, they, they, they do matter. Mm-hmm. And I think that what, what's happened is as time has gone on, um, you know, teams have enough players that go through it and they get to this time of year, like you said, in that frenetic pace and, you know, the, and the matches take on that much more important. And they look back and they say, Man, why didn't we think? Why weren't we doing this in June? Why weren't we doing this in July? And so that, so now they've they, they've learned that lesson. And, and as younger players come through, they they impress upon those guys, those younger guys. They say, "Hey, this one matters. Don't think it doesn't. You know, this one's going to matter as much as September." Not everybody feels that way, obviously, and and, and they do just take on. A more of a you know more importance and more of a meaning as as you get into September, but that's what makes them great. Well, let me throw two things at you as to as to probable causes, and you can you can confirm or deny them. First, I would say how much of a role does, as you mentioned, your your weather in Dallas is finally breaking. How much how much of a role does that cooler weather uh, make for for more open matches? That's a good question because what happens is you know a team like you know Dallas and. Maybe not quite so much Houston. They they play a, a different style anyway. But they they look more like the South American teams, you know, where the ball is on the ground. It moves slower, and and they do that, you know, in large part because of the heat. Well, you know, you can't just say, well, it's cool now. We're going to change our style. True. So yeah, it's a good point that uh, they, they could play differently. But uh, I think teams that you know even even uh, look at look at a team like Real Salt Lake. Um, and it's cool in the mountains, and you know they'll have they'll have warm summer days. I was I was there for the national team game back in what was that in June, and you know it's 90 and it's sunny, but but it's drier and it just doesn't feel as oppressive. But but yet they play with the ball on the ground and they play that you know the passing and the rhythm style. So I think what happens is that teams develop their identity, and maybe the, you know the the climate and conditions uh, are tied into that identity. But then you you can't just uh, turn on a dime, can you? Okay, so then the other thing. Would be the 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 depth of the rosters now. Uh, salary cap has has risen a bit in the last few years, um, but I would attribute that more to to just just better overall depth and and the the, the homegrown um, 
guys being signed is, you know, you see the guys on the bench now that that would probably have started ten years ago in the league, and now they're 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 key components off the bench, and I would think that would make for for a more frenetic pace as well as these guys are now blooded in and ready to play and take a role. Yeah, no, there's no question, and I think there's all uh, all kinds of reasons for that. One, I think if you studied the league for a while, if you watched the league for a while, there's no way that you can you can look at it now and say it's not significantly, measurably improved over the last 10 years, uh, probably even over the last five years. I think the big jump kind of came between like 06, 07, 08. That, that, that's where it really went up, and then it kind of keep, just keeps gradually ticking up. But, but you're absolutely right and that you know, it, it is because there are more players who are more ready for prime time, and that's, you know, we can talk, that's a whole conversation, you know, developmental mechanisms, uh, probably just, you know, a little smarter drafting out of, the, out of colleges, uh, you know, of course, the homegrown academies, uh, a little bit better salary budget so they can go find players. So now you're absolutely right that that eighth, ninth, tenth player, that, I think that's where the depth used to really start falling off. And then, of course, you got into 14 and 15, and they were just players who, were marginally good professionals, but maybe, you know, not even that, and sometimes you had to use them. So now I think we look at it, and I think just as you said, guys number 13, 14, 15 on the roster, you look at it and you say, well, that's a starter five years ago, and now he can't even break into the first team, can he? Yeah, and our last week's guest is proof of that. We had Deshaun Brown of Colorado Rapids on who was mm-hmm. the starter and did very well as the starter. Uh, maybe hit a rookie wall towards the towards the middle of the season, but you look at a guy like that who now has Gabriel Torres, has Atiba Harris, has Edson Buttle all in front of him, and this is a guy, as we just pointed out, was a starter and a, and a very good starter, possible rookie of the year now, even at the end of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that uh, it, just like you said, you know, rookie wall, but also I think that Oscar Pereja, just, uh, you know, I've known Oscar for a long time. I, I even consider him a friend. And, and I, I just think he knows, you know, how to, how to manage young players. Uh, I think he, he's just a very thoughtful guy. And, you know, of course, in, in Dallas, before he went to Colorado, he was the, uh, uh, you know, the, the youth director here. He kind of oversaw the whole thing. So I, I think he understands with a guy like Deshaun that, you know, he, there's going to be fits and stop, uh, fits and starts, and there's going to be a, a, there's a learning curve that needs to be managed prudently. And so I think just to just to put them out there and say, well, you're the starter until you're not scoring goals or something like that. It's that's probably not the thoughtful yeah. way to do it. And so as you say, you know, there's there's plenty of competition around there. So I think to you know selectively put him in where in spots where he can succeed. I think that's you know part of Pereja's thinking and and to try to manage that rookie wall to try to understand it. Um, you know, we need this guy. They, they very well make they make the playoffs. We need him in October just as much as we need him in, you know, July, August, and September. So I think that's that's what's going on there. I I, I think well just on, the, on that example. And that's where the MLS snob in me comes out, and that's where I get really excited about the future of the league. And people will go, well, temper yourself. We're really MLS 3.0 is where you know the league's going to break into to the to the middle echelon of clubs throughout the, the world. But, you know, I look at, I look at Deshaun Brown, and, and we talk about the rookie wall, but, you know, five years ago, Steve, he would have just been thrown out there because there would have been nobody else that would have been better and just run into the ground, whereas now he can be groomed. Uh, a Lewis Gill can be groomed. And maybe if we look back to, to 04 or whatever, uh, a Freddie Adu wouldn't have just been thrown out there because he's 14 and because he's talented enough but not ready to be out there, he's just not going to be thrown out there. Well, I mean, that, that, that's absolutely a great point. And I think, uh, you know, like a lot of things in life, we learn lessons along the way. And I think, you know, poor old Freddie Adu, you know, we beat on him a lot for some things. And, but, 
I think people learned a lot of lessons about expectations and how to manage these things. And now you look at a guy like uh, Diego Fagundes up yeah. at up at New England. I mean, a lot of a lot of people who are listening to your show who are, who are probably pretty good MLS fans, they maybe they know of Diego Fagundes, maybe they've heard of him a little bit, but you know, they, they you know Diego Fagundes could you know walk up and you know ha- you know and, and hand him a newspaper, they wouldn't know who who, who he is. So, and my point here is that. Diego Fagundes is having a historically great season. He's 18 years old. He's hit 11 goals. Um, he's about to become, you know, the, the highest-scoring teenager ever in MLS, and, and he's, he's well past Freddie Adu. I think Freddie Adu had 12 goals as a teenager. So, But what happened is, you know, Freddie Adu came along, and we anointed him, yep. you know, the man. I mean, he is the man, right? But the, Diego Fagundes comes in, and as you said, he's managed more – He's he's managed – in a much smarter way. He's already, this is his third year with third the revolution. Year. Exactly. And, and, and so, but, but now he's earning the right to be called that as opposed to just, you know, ha- having it handed to him. And I think it's just a, it's, it's night and day in terms of what it does for their development and managing that development. I want to touch on your, your latest uh, MLS rankings, but first, uh, the thing that you've kind of been hitting on on the site, which is prosoccertalk.nbcsports.com, has been the refereeing, and especially this weekend. And we've, we saw it in two matches. You've highlighted both in particular, the, the Galaxy-Sounders match and then the, uh, the TFC match. Um, what can be done about this? And I know this has been a topic that's been beaten into the ground, but you know this past weekend showed um, that... This is, we don't have a handle on this yet, and it doesn't seem like there, there's a solution that's even being implemented that could be successful down the road. Well, you say that uh, this, this topic's been hammered on. Let me just in full disclosure say I've been one of the main ones hammering. I mean, <laughs> you know, I went back, you go back to uh, it was 2006, I started writing for ESPN, and then in 2009 or maybe early 2010, I, I moved over to SI.com, and I've just been beating on these guys. I'm, and, you know, to be honest, I think that's the role of a journalist. You hold people's feet to the fire. You hold them. You hold the powers that be accountable. And I just have always thought that this is one area, necessarily so probably, that, that Major League Soccer did not emphasize development enough. And look, I mean, to, you know, if, if we go back just five, six, seven years, they're still trying to get the franchise in the right place. They don't even have Seattle there or Portland. And, it, you know, there's a lot of things they need to do. So that's why this is a long explanation here, but that's why they didn't emphasize referee development like they needed to and they, they kind of hid behind it they would just they would argue they would call me and they would argue with me steve we don't have a referee problem you know it's referees all over the world yada yada so so anyway now I, I i really think greg that it's getting better and 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 i do try to write that i think it's i, I wrote it this weekend again i said it, it the, the overall way that referees manage matches has improved and i know that's hard to believe when your team you know gets screwed out of a goal but I think that they, they've turned down the temperature of the matches a little bit, and they've, they've taken some of the rough stuff out in the disciplinary committee and the things that they've done. That they really have improved the overall game. Now, having said that, now that we're getting to the playoff drive, what, what happens is that <clears throat> these big decisions that, frankly, were always missed. I mean, I can go back a, you know, through the years and cite big decisions you know, that, were, that were missed, that were blown, and that affected playoff races, but now more people know about it. So it becomes a bigger deal. So... We're still getting now where they have to develop next is just the ability to make the big decisions in the big moments. They're always going to happen. We see it in the Premier League. It's a, it might be the best league in the world, right? And we see that decisions sometimes are just wrong. But what happens in MLS is it happens too much. And the next develop, stage in their development with the referees is to 
form a pool of referees that can manage the big moment, they're still going to have mistakes, but they want to eliminate as many of them as they possibly can. So I think you answered the next question in the context of that question, and the, the question would have been, well, you know, we see howlers made uh, all over the world every weekend, which is something that the MLS, is, or MLS has said to you uh, in response to some of your articles. Um, what, is, what would be your response to that? Is, is it that it's just happening too much, and that's, that's the part that we need to clean up? My response, and, and, and this conversation is taking place, it's taking place between me and Sunil Galati, between me and uh, Ivan Gazidis when he was, you know, when he, he was here, even uh, myself and Don Garber. My, my response was always this. My criticism going back to 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, generally was this. It's not that decisions are being missed. It's that your overall temperature of the match, your overall match management isn't good enough. It's too... It's it's too much of a league for for hacks and thugs, and there's not enough protection of the skill players. And so that's where I say they really have made advances. Um, it, that we just don't see as much of you know tat, what I used to call tackle by collision. You know, just where, where it's just routinely referees allowed you to run up, hit a player, and then while these players falling over, then you then you walk away with the ball. You know, or the or the arm bar. I used to hate the arm bar where. You know, a player, you know, a skillful player pushes a ball by somebody. The arm bar goes up. You stop its progress. Then you turn and get the ball. That's a yellow card in most leagues. And in MLS, every week I saw it not called. So that was my response to them, that I'm not talking about the missed penalty kick decision. That does happen. It happens too much in your league, but that will come later. I was always saying, you know, the ability to control matches, the sophistication to, to be able to do that was missing. Now, as I just said, and yeah, you're right. We kind of talked about it a minute ago. Now their next step is to is to eliminate some of the choices. And I, and I still think that what happens is referees in this league get so caught up, and there's still too much yapping that goes on towards these players from the bench, from the from the players on the bench, not just the coach, from the whole eleven players. They got so many people yapping at them in their ear, lobbying that it clutters their mind a little bit. So then, when the big decision comes, whether to point to that penalty spot or not. Or whether, you know, what, what happens, uh, you know, on the sides or on a big foul on the sides, a big yellow card or, or red card moment, they just, can't, they just can't see it with the clarity because there's still too many, that, you know, the, the antics going on around them. So I think that's and, – and they tried, by the way, to clean it up. They announced this initiative at the beginning of the year where they're going to clean some of that stuff up, but they just haven't done that yet. So that, that's, that's where the progress needs to come now. Does, does MLS and, and the U.S. in general, as we look forward to, to the international competitions that are coming up in World Cup next summer, does, do, do we need a, a, a guy, like a referee who you know is just, this is our big game ref, this is the guy that when there's a match that, that needs to be called on the straighten level or MLS Cup or whatever, this is our guy? And, and how much does it hurt that we don't have that go-to guy that we know is going to be the ref and is not going to take anything from either side, no matter the stakes in the match? Now, you know what, that's, that's a great thought. I, I don't even really think that I've ever... I spend my life thinking about soccer and a lot of it about domestic soccer. I don't even think I've ever really kind of approached it from that angle. I think that's a great thought. I, I, th- I guess that's a guy that has to be developed. I don't know if you can, you know, if you can go get a Howard Webb or, you know, back in the day, uh, you know, Pierre Luigi Colina. Exactly. Um, and, get him, and get him to come over. But that's the kind of guy you're talking about, right? And, yeah. And, 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 yes, absolutely. You know, last year, if you look at it, um, Sylvia Petrescu was the MLS referee of the year, and he refereed the final. And I can't stand that guy. I think he's one of the worst because he – because he, he, and I have to say, I thought he did a pretty good job in the final. I, I should say that. I was surprised. But 
he doesn't like calling fouls. He wants a, he wants a rough game. And I, and I and I'm thinking and and I've had this this conversation that, and I said that's regression. That's that's going back to where you were before. If you if your referee of the year sets the tone, and he's the guy that that doesn't want to hand out cards early, you know, but he doesn't want to call fouls early. But then as we saw last week in in uh, Los Angeles, Seattle. You don't you don't get a handle on that stuff. It, 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 that's what you should do. Call a couple fouls early, set the tone, then you can have a better match. Well, what happens is you don't do that. Then you end up calling all the fouls at the end because everybody's frustrated because no fouls have been called. Then you end up handing out just as many cards, and so it's they just kind of have that backward. And, and I'm thinking, is that that's the guy that you want setting your example? The guy that it that everybody that watches the game knows wants a physical match. Yeah. And I'm thinking that. What's wrong with that? And so, so yeah, to your point, it, it would be great to have that guy. And, uh, man, I just don't see one in the pipeline. Just well, yet. and that, that was even my follow-up is, does that guy exist right now? Is he, is he in refereeing? Is he in an MLS pool right now? Yeah, I don't know. You know, Mark Geiger is, you know, it's funny because Mark Geiger, I, I don't necessarily like him on MLS games because I, I, I think he, gets, he lets people get away with too much. But then I see him. Referee, I, was, I happened to be down to Columbia for the uh, under-20 championships um, just what was it, a year ago, two years ago. And he, uh, he did, uh, did he do the final or the semifinal. He did one of those. He did an excellent job. And I see him in international matches, you know, and I think he does a good job because he doesn't take any crap. But in MLS, uh, you know, again, there's just too much of the, too much of the yapping and chirping and lobbying, and, and, and that goes on routinely. So I think he figures – well, I can't, you know, I can't be a one-man army stopping it. So anyway, Mark Geiger might be the guy. I kind of like Ricardo Salazar, Salazar. I thought that two or three years ago he was a pretty good referee. I thought last year he something happened and he and he dropped a level and he started, you know, letting the stuff get to him. I guess, but maybe one of those two guys because I, I think I think they do a you know fair enough job. Let's talk about your rankings. Um, I'll save the top for for the next point. You seem to be at least as a relation to my uneducated or unofficial rankings, you seem to be a lot higher on San Jose than a lot of other people are. What do you see in the earthquakes that, that makes you uh, put them at seven in your latest rankings? Well, here, here's what happens with my rankings. It, it, you know, rankings are just subjective, right? Of course. As you know. But, but also, I, I, I try to weigh out two things, not just season form, but current form. You know? and, I, and I think if you look at current form, um, San Jose is just a better team than they were earlier this year. And the other thing, man, I'll, I'll tell you is that the, the rankings sometimes in the middle, man, there's just a big muddle. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if you do them. You said you do them kind of unofficially. But if you, you know, what happens is I usually come up with like the three teams at the bottom. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty easy. Yeah. And then maybe two or three teams at the top. Okay, no, those, those are pretty clear. And then in the middle, there's like, you know, 12 teams that you say, you know, I could easily flop any of these. So it, it is very subjective, and, and you know, if if I looked at somebody's ratings rankings today, and I look at other people's, and they had San Jose seventh, I would say, okay, I kind of see what they what they're seeing. And if somebody had thir- had them thirteenth, I would say, okay, I kind of yeah. see what they're seeing too. Yeah. So, so you know, right there in the middle, it's just it, it does get hard. But I do think that San Jose is just playing better than they were before, and we saw it the other day. I mean, to go into Utah and to win at, at, at Real Salt Lake, it's pretty good, you know. And then you know, score twice early and. Um, you know, and I just think that uh, if you look at they they didn't lose. In fact, that what they won at home um, all through June, July, and August. I think they didn't, they they won all their home games. You know, even good teams don't you know don't win all their home. You know, you tie a couple in there. They won their home games through through that period, I believe. So 
that, that, that's you know, quick quick explanation, <laughs> long explanation. <laughs> that's what I see, I guess. Well, then let's let's start gravitating towards the top. Then, um, little surprised to see that you have the Galaxy at four. I, I would have thought maybe a little bit higher, especially uh, ahead of New York Red Bulls. Uh, what, what's your thinking in in putting Galaxy at four over, say, three or maybe even two? Well, so here you go. So this tells me that I probably have them just about right because for a while. A lot of people were beating my butt about having the Galaxy too high, you know. Yeah. And then some people say, "Well, they're not high enough." But what happens there is, for, for so long now, the Galaxy has been a very incomplete version of itself. You know, Landon Donovan wasn't there, then he was, but then he's away for the, you know, for for the Gold Cup. Robbie Keane goes away for a little while. Um, so we never really, you know, how many times have we seen, you know, really their their best team together? So you try in your mind to, to, to you know, to factor that in just a little bit. You know, what, what is the team going to be at the end when, when all the parts are together? And at the same time, you can't ignore results. And sometimes, you know, they're giving up late goals. And, you know, they got beaten so bad, about, I believe it was up in, you know, up in New England. And they just kind of collapsed at the end. And also for a while, um, you know, the goalkeeping situation was just, uh, you know, Kudicini just didn't turn out to be, you know, what, what they wanted him to be. So you, you kind of have to, you do have to factor in what, what they've done through the entire work of the season. And so somewhere in there, you just come up with a number that you hope is about right, and then everybody like you and me argue about it, right? <laughs> well, how hard is it? How hard is it for you to not look at what the Galaxy have done the last two years and kind of it's a similar cycle to what they're doing this year? And how hard is it for you not to say to yourself, okay, well, you know what? They're a little inconsistent, but they were inconsistent uh, in 2012. They were inconsistent in 2011, and look how it all turned out as they uh, wound down to the end of the season. How hard is it not to bring that no. back in? No, I don't think it, I, I think I do try to bring it in. And then, you know, maybe some people would argue with me about that, but that's fine. You know, I mean, you do your rankings the way yeah. you want. I'll do my rankings the way I want. I, I think it's fair to consider that, you know, when it comes down to it, this team is going to say, we've been here before. We finished what, what they were fifth, were they fourth or fifth last year in the, uh, in the West? And they, you know, and they, and they win the darn thing, right? So I think it's very fair to consider Bruce Arena is, is, you know, you know, top to bottom, he's probably, you know, the best coach in the history of the league. That's fair to consider. I, I think it's fair to consider that Bruce Arena understands that you, you want to be at your best at the end, not in May or even July or even, you know, September. So to me, it's that, you know, you weigh it how you want and you don't want to weigh too much of that. But I, I think it's OK to make that part of the equation. Let's talk about team number three, um, and then obviously it has to wrap into to team number one as they're playing this week, and that would be Sounders versus Red Bulls uh, in Seattle. Um, your your latest blog post that is MLS focused is is you kind of uh, kind of raising an eyebrow over Red Bulls four game winning streak. Um, to me, that's another team where it's hard for me not to look at what they've done in the past, which is the reverse of what the Galaxy have mm-hmm. done in the past, and say to myself, mm-hmm. okay, um, that four-game win streak, Steve put some nice little holes in, in most of those wins. Why are they three, and does a, a result in Seattle solidify that three or move them up? Uh, no, I think if uh, you, know, you get a result against another team that's, that's doing very well, also depending on how the game plays out, right? Last week, Dallas comes in. Dallas is not, you know, Dallas is okay right now. They're not, they're a little better than they were in the summer, but they're still nothing great. You know, they go into New York, and it takes an own goal from Dallas just for New York to win the game, right? Mm-hmm. So if it, if, if it becomes a squirrely little win, then you, you, you factor that in. But 
I think a win over Seattle would say a lot, wouldn't it? And it and it would, what it would do is validate those other results. And like you know what you were talking about a minute ago for people that don't know is this four game winning streak. You know, all except for one one of those victories, you just look at it and say, yeah, but that was against Toronto. Yeah, yeah. but that was against Dallas and took an own goal. And I don't think we can say that against Seattle, especially if they get Clint Dempsey back. And you know, a, a good you know full version of Seattle. Um, you know that that's a win that that's a win that says okay now you've proven it to us and like you said if you're New York they have to prove it to us because unlike L A they haven't done it before. I, I want to wrap up with uh, the team in your backyard and that is Dallas. Um, you know you, you kind of mentioned that they're just kind of there now and and I I'm scratching my head a little bit because you know inherently this is the same team from the beginning of the season that that really was was the surprise of the league. Uh, what's what's kind of gone wrong? What's gone off the rail uh, in Dallas? Well, it, it is and it isn't the same team. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I kind of know, but if you looked at the team early, and, I, and, then, and you can go back, and I wrote this, and I, I said, this team is fine until they have one injury. Just, just because <laughs> they, they, they really weren't very they, – they just weren't very deep in midfield. They were, uh, they were perilously thin at outside back. And, you know, then, then they had to take an outside back and move him into center midfield, and he ended up being pretty good in there. But, but you know, through the course of the season, if you don't have depth, you wear down. And I think that's, that's what happened. They just, they just wore down. And I also think that uh, when, you know, when Blas Perez started disappearing for World Cup qualifiers, well, you know, Kenny Cooper and Eric Hasley just weren't – they just didn't get it done. And so that happened. And the other thing was Davi Ferreira through the summer, he still has his moments, but overall – Man, that guy is just—he he just looks like he's so immobile. He just, you know, he can't move, and he's—he's he's just such a shell of what he was back in that MVP season yeah. three years back. And and so, so when when you look at that guy and how important he was, and really, and and, and you look at his assist totals, and they're not bad, but it's because he still has one or two—he's still good enough that one or two moments. I guess you like Dwayne Ducario that way. One or two moments a match, you can do it, but. Man, you know, he's not tracking at all through midfield. Not that that should be his main job, but you got to work a little bit in there. He doesn't work as hard to get open, so that makes the, you know, the outlet passes, the linking passes between the defense and the forwards much, much harder because he's just too immobile to really work hard for them. When he gets fouled, he can't, you know, he can't fight through it like he could. And so I, those three things, I think, are what happened, just that lack of depth and a lot of just W. Ferreira and then Blas Perez being absent. Well, you brought up something that's kind of making me scratch my head a little bit and, and- I remember when the uh, when the academies first launched, and, and I'm here in D.C., so D.C. United's academy mm-hmm. uh, was is got a very good reputation. Uh, but sure. it always paled in comparison. At least I always thought. Everybody always said, "Well, wait a second. In a few years, uh, FC Dallas is, they, their academy is just got is just chock full of talent. And when they start churning those guys out, um, they're going to be forced to reckon with." We've seen a couple of guys move from from the academy into the first team, but it, it doesn't seem to be the the pipeline that that United has, or or even like like New England is is doing now. What, what happened to the academy of FC Dallas? Go back to what we talked about a minute ago with Freddie Adu and Diego Fagundes and kind of the different dynamics of, of their development, and I think I think you're going to find it. Uh, I think you're going to find the answer because w- what I always say about academy players, about homegrown, you know, when you're a journalist, you know, they, you know, the PR directors and and you know, and the the GMs even the coaches, they always want to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, Steve. We're signing a homegrown player. <laughs> you know, this is a big deal. I mean, yeah. this is our first, this is our second, this is our fifth. You know, I mean, you, 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 and I would say to them, okay, you know what? Congratulations. Now tap me on the shoulder when he starts an MLS match. 
You know, I don't, I don't want to hear about your homegrown player. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm very proud of you, and I don't mean to be a cynic, <laughs> but, you know, you signing that guy, doesn't, doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. You could sign me. It doesn't mean I'm ever going to score a goal for you, right? I'm never going to head away, you know, a corner kick for you, right? But signing me. So, so I think that, you know, a lot of what we had early was just these teams and these clubs being rightfully excited about, about, their, um, about their academy programs, and they should be. And it was, it's exciting in the bigger picture because that's the way MLS clubs are going to develop talent in the future, and we all know that. But, and everybody being in on the front end of that, some clubs got in a little earlier than others, and, and I think maybe that's what happened with Dallas. It was just, you know, they did, they did a good job of, uh, you know, trumping their, PR, their, uh, uh, their homegrown signings. You know, and we see a guy like Kellen Acosta now. He, he's going to be a good player, but as you, as you say – they haven't, you know, until you get your Andy Nahar, until you get your Diego Fagundes, you know, the really, you know, the, the, the Villarreal, the, yeah. you know, the guy that really, you know, that really makes an imprint, and then, then you haven't quite, uh, you haven't quite done it yet. So a lot of it's just PR, I think, and then balancing out PR versus the reality of these homegrown players still have to produce. So before I let you go, I'm not going to ask you for a prediction on matches. I don't really like to play that game. But um, I think a lot of the the Seattle Red Bulls match will hinge on whether Thierry Henry decides he wants to play on turf or not. So uh, rather than give a, a prediction on the result, tell me about the most important player, I would say, on the pitch for that match. Will he play? Will Thierry Henry play, yes or no? I don't know. You know what, honestly, I know that's not what you're looking to me for, but um, well, does he, ha- does, he, does he is, have to play? Is, is, what's that now? Does he have to play? I, I mean, we know he's the most influential guy on Red Bulls, but it, does the result in Seattle uh, mean enough now? Like, it's not like a playoff match. It's not an MLS Cup right. where it's a no-brainer. It's just a match at the end of the season. So does he have to play? I think that he, Henri will look at it. Uh, he is, he's a pretty thoughtful guy, and he watches a lot of matches. And I think he will say, we won the home match. They have a little bit of a cushion at, you know, near the top now. And I think he'll say, he'll maybe decide, I don't have to play on that yeah. turf. Maybe if I, if I would have to, maybe if we had lost that match, it would be more. But, but he would take the longer view of it. He'll say, I'm 35 years old. 35 or 36 maybe. He'll take the longer view and say, if I play in that match, maybe the next three matches, I'm not as good. So maybe that's what, what happens. By the way, the most important man on the field that day is probably going to be Eddie Johnson. So. Uh, okay, so you with, say uh, that, and I thought you would say, I thought you were going to uh, mention the health of Clint Dempsey, but you said Eddie Johnson instead. Mm-hmm. Why? Because, we, well, A, we just don't know if Clint Dempsey is going to play, but B, I mean, you know, Clint hasn't scored or assisted yet, and, you know, we can't say that he, you know, hasn't made a meaningful presence in some ways, but Eddie Johnson's just a man right now. He's clearly motivated, you know, because he wants that contract. He's motivated because he feels slighted, because now they brought in Obafemi Martins, and that, that motivated him. Now they brought in Clint Dempsey, and he feels... He's playing with a chip on his shoulder, and he's man. He's he's scoring for the national team. He scored that huge goal against Mexico. He's, he's scoring for Seattle. So I think that makes him the most important man on the field. That's just my my little opinion, though. ProSoccerTalk.NBCSports.com. Steve Davis updates it multiple times a day. It's a fantastic resource for MLS and world soccer. Steve, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it, my friend. Love talking soccer with anybody, man. You guys call anytime. Show information, go to pitchpass.com.